few boxes, so I just go to Walmart and get those plastic ones. But some women see this as an opportunity to buy some new shoes. And <laughs> if that works for you, great. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we're continuing through the book of 1 Timothy, and Paul kind of shifts gears here in chapter 4 um, and begins to talk about um, false teaching and, and the results of that false teaching. And in this section, in these first five verses of chapter 4, he, he talks about those who um, have left the faith and, and done what we call apostatizing. The Greek word that he uses is actually a transliteration uh, of apostasy. The word apostasy means that you, well, the, the center word of it, histemi, which is a word that means to stand firm, and then it's preceded with, with the prefix uh, apa, which is away from, and the idea is there are people who were standing solid and then they fall away from that. They lose their footing. They lose their um, solidity, really, in their walk. And, and it's important for us to understand this because as Christians, we certainly all have the desire to be solid, to stand firm, to hold our position, to not be bounced around, to not be flaky, to not be inconsistent. And so as we look at this warning about apostasy, we also see in it some real keys as to how we can maintain the solid, stable stance and walk of a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who finds a, a basis for consistency in their walk. And so it's really important stuff. Let's read these first five verses. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, and the word there is apostatize, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron or cauterized, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And so he's giving this warning about during the latter times. Now, this is not the same technical term as, as other places, like in 2 Timothy where Paul talks about in the last days. That's generally an apocalyptic term that refers to a time in the future as it's close to the time of the return of Christ. But he's talking about his period of time extending on to ours. So the latter times just meaning this era that we are in, the age of the church. And he's making a warning because they were seeing even in those days that there is some teaching and there are some practices that cause people to lose their footing, that cause people to slip up, that cause people to lose stability. And this is certainly relevant to us because not only do we have the desire to remain solid in Jesus Christ, we look all around us and we see people who seem to be unable to do that. And it's our desire as Christians, it's my desire as a pastor to, to see 
everyone who I have a chance to minister to, find that place whereby your life is solid, whereby Christianity is really working for you and your life is reflecting what it ought to be. It hurts me when I see people just on, almost like on a roller coaster in their lives and up and down and you never know from one day to the next are they going to make it. They're always wondering whether they just want to hang it up or not. And, and there's nothing more beautiful than to see people who consistently live out their walk with Christ in a way that really works and, and, and reflects that which Christianity is supposed to be. The greatest testimony for Jesus Christ is a life that's lived solidly with him. And so this is something of great importance to us in our days. But we need to realize that some don't make it, some depart. Now, I don't think that this is necessarily talking about someone is a Christian and then they go to the point where they're not a Christian anymore. But you, can, you theologians among us can hammer that out for yourselves. That would, this would concern me in that area. But I, but I think specifically what he's referring to is, again, people who lose that solid walk and begin slipping and falling and flaking. And so um, that's certainly at least central to the idea of what he's, what he's saying here. But he describes it as departing from the faith getting to a point where you're no longer trusting in Jesus Christ and, and walking with him. But he says, first of all, they're giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This may seem a little strange to you because you'd think, wait a minute, if somebody's in the faith, if somebody has accepted Christ, you really think that demons have anything to do with them? Now, there are some people who... who and partly what he's referring to is people who focus on the demonic. And there are some people who their Christianity becomes all about demons. And, you know, the, their so-called deliverance ministries where they believe that Christians are always being possessed by demons and anytime there's something wrong in your life, you must have a demon. There are churches where, you know, they say, okay, who lusted this week? And a few people raise their hands, the only honest people in the church. And, and so they have them come forward, and then they, they, you know, come out, you demon spirit of lust, and they throw up and gyrate, and it's like, okay, now I'm better. Of course, on Monday, it's back, and so you're constantly going through this process of being delivered. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ, and so demons can't come in and possess a Christian. But demons can harass Christians. They're certainly able to attack us, and they're able to lie to us. And that's what Satan and his, his followers do. And if you're ignorant of that, or you decide, I don't believe in that at all, well, then you're a sucker for it when it happens. We, we saw in Ephesians where Paul talked about the fact that, you know, our battle is against those demonic forces. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And so the first thing we need to realize is there is a demonic battle that's going on. And it is possible for someone in the faith to be deceived by false teachings that are lies made up by the enemy wanting us to believe something that isn't true in order to trip us up. If you think that you're not capable of that, if you believe that you can't be a sucker for that, 
then you are a sucker for that. The truth is, we're all wrong about a lot of things. And the father of lies is behind a lot of that. And, and a, a starting point for us in our lives is to understand there may be some things that I believe that just aren't right. I don't want to ever get to the point where I'm just certain that everything I know, I know it, and I don't want to be open to anything else. Because if we do that, we will hang on to ideas that we have that are wrong. I discover all the time areas where I'm wrong. I, as I'm reading the scriptures, I see something that contradicts something that I thought I knew. And I realize, wow, I thought I knew it, but I really didn't. And we are under demonic attack. And we need to also be aware that people who stand up and, and, and teach Christianity are also very capable of representing some of these doctrines of demons. I'm not going to go into great detail suggesting which ones they are, but I just want us to understand that, and if you don't believe me, just turn on Christian television and watch it for a while. And it's like so much baloney going on and being presented as this is from God. And so to be mature is to recognize we need to have discernment. We need to have God really show us. We need to have a filter so that we don't just swallow everything that gets tossed at us and assume that it's all legitimate. And that includes what I tell you and what I teach you. Take what I say and compare it to Scripture and ask God to really show you whether it's true or not because we are all susceptible to lies. And we're all it's possible for any of us to believe something very strongly and have it not be true. And, you know, just because someone has a strong conviction about something doesn't make it correct. It's whether or not it's really coming from God that makes it correct or not. And so if we don't have our guard up and if we just think that that's not necessary for us, then we're setting ourselves up to get sucked away from that which is solid and to slip and fall and tumble into all sorts of other distractions, whether they are about demons or whether they are about other areas. Personally, I see all kinds of people who somehow lose their focus. At one point, focused on Jesus and what he has done, and the next thing you know, all of their attention is in some other area, whether a political area or whether off into some particular theological bias that they have where everything is all about that or whether it's about what's happening in today's world or whatever it is that pulls us off track away from that which makes us solid and so he warns us understand that there are forces out there that are trying to get you distracted and they might even distract you with good things if those good things take you away from the best things. It's all about balance. It's all about staying grounded. It's all about not getting, being flaky and bouncing to and fro. And so he says, be aware that there are teachings out there that can actually pull you off track. And, and some of those teachings are inspired by demons. They're just flat-out lies things that aren't true, and yet they can pull you away 
from the real truth that ought to be the solid ground that's underneath you. So to acknowledge that that's a possibility is our first important thing to recognize. But now he begins to describe some of the characteristics of that kind of life, the life that's being sucked away. And the first thing he says is, they speak lies in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is pretending to be one thing and actually being another. And I think that this is one of the most important things for us to understand, that our faith and our relationship with God and the consistency of our lives really begins with our integrity, our honesty. See, before you come to Jesus, you're living a life of phoniness, and there's a real good reason for it. Basically, apart from the revelation of Jesus Christ, Life is all about trying to please other people and trying to get what you want, living a life of selfishness, basically. And the best way to get what you want is not to be yourself. The best way to get what you want is to lie in order to get it and to pretend to be something different than what you are. And so into that life of phoniness steps the gospel, the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. And what the good news means is finally you can stop lying. Finally you don't have to be a phony anymore. Finally there's no reason for you to pretend anything because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin and he sets us free and he says, I just want you to be honest. I just want you to be you. I want you to admit who you are. I want you to understand that, yes, you're a sinner. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess means to say the same thing. Basically, a person who confesses their sins is a person who admits who they are, is a person who stops pretending, a person who realizes Halloween's over, take the mask off, stop faking it. That's not where... where a beneficial life is going to be found. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to fool anybody anymore because the only one that matters accepts you just the way you are. Stop playing games. And that's what the gospel does. It sets us free from the burden of all of these masks that we've been wearing. Now, that's a glorious truth, a powerful truth. It's the center to everything that we are as believers in Jesus Christ. However, What happens is, and the devil loves this, we become Christians and we're set free, but now we begin to learn a whole new set of rules. We have a whole new different set of standards of what people are going to be pleased with. And so we begin to think that, you know what? Jesus accepts me the way I am, but I'm realizing Christians won't. And they have their own little rule book, and so there are certain things I better not do. If I do them, I better not say I do them. If I I need to make my life look like theirs. When I become a Christian, I better start dressing like a Christian, talking like a Christian, acting like a Christian, meaning I'm no longer me anymore. I'm pretending again. I'm just pretending in a different arena. I'm just playing a different game. And It is absolutely devastating to the cause of Christ that we have allowed 
these Christian traditions and, the, and this Christian peer pressure to make people who come to Christ decide that they have to start playing games again, that they can't be who they are because they will be rejected by our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we do that, let's face it, let's own up to it. There are as many, I mean, there are a whole lot of people who say, the reason I don't want to be a Christian is because I see so many hypocrites in the church. And they're right. And, you know, and I sometimes will say to them, oh yeah, as opposed to in the bar where people are so sincere. But <laughs> the world is hypocritical. The church is hypocritical. It shouldn't be that way. For somebody who knows Jesus Christ, you should finally be able to stop faking it. You should finally be able to quit playing those games. But as soon as we allow Christianity to just become another thing that we fake, as soon as we allow the Christian subculture to become a place where you just put on a different mask and everybody knows that we're this way but we pretend like we aren't, you start playing games, you're opening the door to exactly what Satan wants to do with your life. Is he just, oh yeah, now I'm a Christian, so now I'm a different kind of phony than I was when I was in the world. The gospel is such great news because now you don't have to pretend anymore. But that doesn't mean everyone's going to accept you because everyone doesn't understand the gospel. Even in the church, most people don't really understand what it means. And we don't do really well at accepting each other. And that's where it all starts to gum up. And that's where your walk with Jesus will begin to go from something that's solid where you're just standing by faith in what he has done for you to where your Christianity just becomes a culture. It just becomes another shtick. It just becomes something that you do to keep up appearances. And that is the pathway to devastation and destruction for Christians. But that's what the devil will always try to get you to do. He'll try to get you to to, to begin to live a fake life, to stop being honest with yourself. Because when you quit being honest, you quit being forgiven. You quit experiencing that glorious reality of the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. It, it, it's not that God doesn't want to change us. He does. He loves you so much that he accepts you exactly the way you are. But he loves you so much that he won't leave you the way that you are. He will change you. But he will change you according to his program, according to his timing. Often we think, I better start acting different because becoming a Christian means you clean up your act. No, it doesn't. Becoming a Christian means you're forgiven of your sins. You can be yourself. You can be honest. And it means that you allow the Holy Spirit, you allow God to work in your life to change you. But you're not the Holy Spirit. Don't be telling other people how they need to change. Don't be trying to make yourself conform. Some of the most frustrated Christians that I ever talked to are people who don't understand what this grace is about. And so, I mean, they've come to Christ and God's doing amazing things in their lives, but then there's one area of their life that they think Christians don't do and they have a hard time changing that area. Often I talk to people who are like, yeah, man, I've been walking with the Lord for, for seven years, but, you know, there's one, you know, I just can't quit smoking. 
I don't know how smoking became the thing that determines whether you're a Christian or not. I mean, I, 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 don't get me wrong, I think smoking's a stupid thing to do. As a Christian, I want to have as much time on this earth to serve God as I can, and smoking would really get in the way of that. So, hey, I'm, all, I'm great with people who want to quit smoking. Um, for a non-Christian, I mean, you should still want to live life as long as you possibly can, and, and believe me, you're going to have a long, long time to smoke later. But, <laughs> but see, here's what... Sorry, but here, <laughs> it's true though, but here's what, here's what happens. God does a bunch of things in my life, but I can't quit smoking, so I feel like, I don't think, I don't know, there's something wrong with, no, no, there's not. How about letting God decide what he wants to work on in your life? Because I guarantee if you've been a Christian for any length of time, he's done some amazing things in your life. Thank him for that. Praise him for that. If there are areas where you're still struggling, well, it just means you're not dead yet. He's, he's still working. Let him work. But don't ever get to the point where you think, oh, man, I'm a Christian, and I smoke, so I make sure nobody sees me smoking. I sneak around and make excuses for it. I'm <laughs> all the time. So people don't, people don't suspect I smoke. They just think I swallowed a medicine cabinet, you know. <laughs> If there's any place where it should be safe, it's the place of grace, where it's like, yep, still struggling with this area, still having a hard time, had a rough week, I was struggling with temptation, or I was, hey, that's what the church is about, that's what the Christian life is about, that's what the cross of Jesus Christ is about. He took our sins on himself so that we would be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And when he looks at us, he sees us as being perfect. We've got to see that. And as soon as we start thinking that we have to make that happen, then we're playing Holy Spirit in our own lives. The Christianity is not a place for phonies. Christianity is not a place for pretending. And if you allow yourself to fall into that, you're setting yourself up for big-time failure down the road. And the demons are just applauding as they see you living your super-spiritual life of lies and hypocrisy. I was reading J. Vernon McGee's commentary on 1 Timothy, and he came to this section. And talking about lies and hypocrisy, Dr. McGee said, I never trust those super-duper Christians, those super-spiritual Christians, who just come off like they're better than everyone else. They seem like they're perfect. Everyone just admires them. And he said, I have found that as I grow closer to God, I grow in humility. He said, the more I learn about God, the more I realize I don't know. And those people who are so sure of everything, they think they're always right, and they act like they're so spiritual, I suspect hypocrisy. I suspect they're playing a game somewhere. That was the life of the Pharisees. It was, it was faking spirituality. Spirituality isn't something to be faked. It's real. If it's not real, what are we doing? Why even be a Christian? If Christianity means that I now take on a new mask and I pretend to be something else. So know this, if you want to stay solid, it always has to start with honesty. 
It always is going to come down to integrity and the humility that comes with that. But then he says, secondly, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Their own conscience is cauterized. You know what your conscience is? It's that part of you that tells you that's not a good idea, that is a good idea. Now, everyone who's created in the image of God has a conscience. And Paul talks about in Romans the fact that this is one way that God begins to reveal himself to you is in your conscience. But something glorious happens when you become a Christian because the Holy Spirit comes inside your life and now he can work through your conscience, sanctifying it, and, and God leads you by your heart. He leads you from within. It's what the Bible calls the new covenant. Back in Jeremiah, it was prophesied. It said, hey, the old covenant was a list of rules that you had to follow. And all that, that those rules ever did was tell you that you couldn't follow rules. But the day will come when he puts his law in your heart, when he works within you and, and gives you the desires of your heart and leads you that way from your heart. Now, here's how that gets cauterized. Hypocrisy. If you live a life that's, that lacks integrity, gradually your conscience will be seared. It'll be cauterized. It will lose its capacity to feel because you know you're not supposed to do this, but you're just pretending. You know there's something wrong, but you don't want to admit it or share it with someone else. And every time you make a decision to be a phony, Something's dying in the nerve endings of your conscience. And we are able to develop ourselves to the extent that you just can't even feel right and wrong anymore. And that's why, for so many people, they end up living a life of legalism. Because legalism is a substitute for a conscience. Jesus addressed the Pharisees constantly on this issue. And Notice how every time in the Gospels when Jesus was correcting the Pharisees, he was typically telling them, look, you're living by the rule, but you're throwing common sense out the window in doing it. Like he's going, oh, yeah, the, there's a rule about the Sabbath. But you're so stupid, you think that God wouldn't want to heal somebody because it's the Sabbath? Come on, if you've got an animal that falls in a ditch, you're going to pull him out on the Sabbath. But he said, don't you get it? The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. And whenever we take rules and put them above that which ought to be common sense, you find yourself going, oh, I'm going to do this, but deep inside the Spirit of God is telling you, but yeah, but I don't think that's right. And we stop listening to that. And we begin to adopt a life of legalism whereby we're following some rules and we're no better off. I mean, the Pharisees were the biggest hypocrites of the day and they desperately wanted to be godly. But Jesus said, man, on the outside, you guys are shiny and clean. You're like a gravestone where you're all polished and you look good on the outside, but inside you're just rotting with, with old rotten bones and decaying flesh. He goes, that's not the way I want you to be. That's not the way God desired for your life to be. But 
That's what happens to us when we lose that integrity and honesty, when we stop receiving the grace of God and and appreciate it and enjoying it, and instead we just fake it. And what happens ultimately, we get to the point where we are doing things that are just so stupid, so inconsistent with the most common sense conscience that anyone could ever have because our conscience is getting cauterized by our lack of integrity. And so if we want to stay solid, it it begins with facing the truth, and, and then that leads to the point where God can work in our conscience and help us to then just hear from him so, so that we don't have to go, okay, can we, are we allowed to do this? Are we allowed to do that? Not that at all. Just follow the leading of God in your heart, and he's going to go on and talk about the word and prayer. That, that that's how it works. That that's the way the, that life is supposed to be led. And hypocrisy and legalism are no substitute for a life of grace. In fact, they will completely choke out grace. Now, he goes on and gives some examples of what this teaching will lead to. And he says, some of these guys are forbidding to marry. They're saying, oh, you shouldn't get married. It's very unspiritual to get married. This was a teaching that was starting to come up in those days. The Essenes, those people who were responsible for cataloging the Dead Sea Scrolls and tucking them away, were those who believed that marriage was bad. Later on, the Gnostics in the second century really perfected this teaching. And basically, they said everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good, so reject everything that's physical. And Paul had to deal with this in the early church. As in, in 1 Corinthians, he, he talked quite a bit about this. In 1 Corinthians 7, he, he addressed that, hey, you know what? If you're married, you should be having normal physical relations. There's nothing spiritual about not doing that. There's something dreadfully wrong about not being physically intimate. That's something that God has given you. He, he, he says that marriage is a good thing. Now, Paul talked about there are some people who have a gift of not being married, and if that's a gift that God has given you, it's really handy. It comes in really, really well. But he also said, look, it's better to marry than to burn. Don't, don't think that somehow you're really spiritual by denying yourself, and it's eating you up and destroying you. Now, there are people who would forbid people to marry. There, there are some who, even in that teaching in 1 Corinthians, they miss the big picture And they'll go, if somebody's divorced, then they should never be able to remarry. Now, I don't believe the Bible teaches that at all. But And in fact, in the whole context of what he's saying, he establishes the principle that, no, marriage is something that is preferable to being desperate to be married and not being married. But it's so easy to fall into a a life of... Of, of telling people what they can't do and defining Christianity in that way. Now think of, and I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, but think of what's happened within the Catholic Church where they had this teaching that if you're really spiritual, then um, you won't get married, and then you can be a priest. How's that working for them? I mean, it leads to hypocrisy. It leads to sexuality being expressed in really inappropriate ways. It leads to the kind of people who want to become priests. I mean, how many people 
what kind of a person when you go, hey, come and join a life of no sex for the rest of your life? Here, sign up right here. What kind of people are going to go for that? You're gonna, it's going to be problematic, and it certainly has been for the Catholic Church. That's not what God has. That's not, that's not the way he does things. But there's one thing that legalistic teaching that leads to phoniness always has in common, and it always comes from a point of deprivation. It, a life of phoniness and legalism will always emphasize what you can't do, what you're not allowed to do. And that's kind of the way the law ended up developing, and that's always what the devil wants to do. Now he goes on here and says, not only forbidding to marry, but commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. There, another thing that they had in common was there are certain things you can't eat, or at certain times you can't eat certain things. And as if somehow you're going to get closer to God by depriving yourself. And, and this gives such a false image of who God is, that God is somebody who wants to put a bunch of restrictions on you, that God is somebody who just wants to take away from you anything that's good. Now, there are things that God forbid always because there are certain things that aren't good for you. But think of the Garden of Eden. We always say, God put them in the Garden of Eden, and then he put a tree in there and said, don't eat of that tree. But that's not exactly what he said. He put them in a garden with thousands of trees of incredible fruits of every kind, and he said, you can eat of all of the fruit of this garden. Except for that one, it'll kill you. Now we look at it, and, and Satan looked at it like, hey, that one tree, that's the... No, it was this amazing freedom that they had. They could eat anything. What a, what a great freedom that they had. There was just one little restriction because that one wasn't good for them. Now, there's a whole lot of things that you can eat. There are a few things that you're better off not eating, even though it's created by God. But he said, if you can be thankful for it, then eat it. Don't live by a bunch of silly dietary laws. These people who would try to say that, you know, Christians ought to eat by the Old Testament dietary laws, or Christians ought to be vegans, or... No. If you can thank God for it, eat it. Now, there are some things I don't eat, because frankly, if I look at broccoli sitting there, cauliflower or something, I cannot be thankful. So, I don't eat it. But oddly enough, I'm really grateful for an ice cream sometimes or a piece of chocolate. If I'm thankful God made it, okay. God's not the kind of God who's, who's interested in depriving you. Jesus said that he came to give us an abundant life. And any understanding of the Christian life that sees it as being a bunch of don'ts, that's what the devil, that's the way he looks at it. He calls attention to a handful of don'ts, and he draws our attention away from everything that's good for us and that's blessed for us. And a life of legalism and a life of phoniness will always result in, look how spiritual I am because of what I'm not doing. Hey, I, you know, I remember getting the impression as a kid that, well, here's what a Christian is. A Christian doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, doesn't dance, doesn't celebrate Halloween, 
doesn't have a Christmas tree, and we always did. But you know, you, you hear those kinds of things where the focus of the Christian life is, oh, be careful, because life is full of don'ts. No, it isn't. That's not God's heart. He's not into forcing us into misery. He's not into depriving us of anything but our misery. Now you go, but wait a minute. It, it says that you, know, you need to take up your cross and follow him. Deny yourself. If you seek to find your life, you'll lose it. Yeah, yeah. you, you do let go of that selfishness because seeking selfishly to try to satisfy yourself never did satisfy you. But don't take from that that therefore what God wants to do is put huge restrictions on your life. He doesn't. That's not his heart. That's not what he wants to do. And he would say, look, if you can be thankful for it, eat it. Allow it. Permit it. Because, as he says down in verse 5, 4, it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. I love that. So here's the Christian life. We read the word of God. We understand it. We apply it. We pray. We ask God to lead us by his Holy Spirit. He works within our conscience. He, he changes our desires. He, he, he allows us to just sense how he is leading us. And, and we live lives of honesty and integrity. We decide to never, above all things, don't ever settle for hypocrisy. Don't ever lead a life whereby you're faking it. Because that's not what the gospel does. That isn't, that isn't what he wants for any of us. If you're honest, then he'll let you know what's best for you. Just do that. And don't ask somebody else whether it's okay. Don't worry about whether they you know, have a problem with it. You know, if, if, hey, if you can go buy a lottery ticket and be thankful, okay, fine. I'm thinking about having a fundraiser for the church to finish the building program where everybody buys the lottery ticket and we really pray and... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but don't let artificial standards define your life, especially when it leads to phoniness, where you're buying a lottery ticket and hoping nobody from the church sees you, or whether you're, you know, there's a movie you want to see, but you drive to Bakersfield. You know... <laughs> Or you're like putting your champagne in a kid's sippy cup, you know? <laughs> Just be who you are. He loves you the way you are. If there's something that is displeasing to him in your life, he's going to take that desire away. He's going to do it. You stick with his word, you stick with prayer, and you be yourself. But if you begin to compromise that, you're opening yourself up to a bunch of lies that will ultimately leave your life as just a shell of Christianity. Just a phony life that isn't fooling anybody, but you think it is, and you're carrying this huge burden of, oh, I need to make sure that nothing I do is judged by anyone else. No. We don't worry about that. Live by the word. Stay in prayer. Be yourself. Listen to your heart. Listen to the Holy Spirit as he is speaking to you. And that's the glorious life of freedom to which he has called us. And if you do that, you'll be solid. You'll be fine. I trust the Holy Spirit 
to keep your feet on the ground. I'm not one bit worried that when I teach what the Bible teaches, when I tell people the truth of the grace of God and the gospel, that you're going to go run off the deep end. Not worried about that. Because I know God, and I know the Holy Spirit. And if you will be honest, you will be fine. If you start playing games, you're in serious trouble. Don't do that. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word, for the truth of the gospel. We're so sorry for those times when well-meaning and inadvertently we created a religion somewhere along the road that people felt like they had to buy into. Because you didn't do that. You came to set us free from all of that and to put your law in our hearts. So Lord, work in our lives, molding and shaping our consciences. We're honest before you. And help us to live lives of integrity. Help us to resist all of the lies of the devil that would convince us that life is all about deprivation. But help us to receive everything as being from you, given to us for our enjoyment. And help us to live lives that celebrate who you are and all that you've done for us. And that radiate freedom and the glorious gospel of grace. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Sorry about botching it up so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all